Hi, you are listening to 22 West Radio. That is 88.1 KFM HD, so on and so forth. This is the D49er update. Um, this is a show that 22 West does in conjunction with the Daily 49er. Um, we cover highlights, I guess you could say, from uh, the Daily 49er newspaper. But today we have a special guest. Um, in the studio with me to my left is... Hi, I'm Nadia Villanueva. I'm a J420 student. And I'm Arlene Lamella, journalism major. And if you guys could introduce our guest as well. Jonathan Solorzano, who is a community organizer for the Long Beach Immigrant Rights Coalition and a proud resident of North Long Beach. He uh, has his sociology, sociology degree from uh, Cal State LA, and he plans on going to law school. That's his next option. Mm-hmm. So um, why did you guys kind of bring him into the studio today? Um, what is, you know, the topic of, in- topic of interest here? Um, well, uh, he is from the Immigrants' Rights Coalition. He volunteers for them. And with everything that's going on with DACA students, I thought it was important to have someone come in and give us a little insight, maybe some legal advice that he can help any students out there with. All right, cool. Well, I'll let you guys take the show from here then. Okay, so, um, Jonathan, why don't you start off by telling us how you got involved with the Immigrants' Rights Coalition? Sure thing. So uh, it all started back in 2012. Uh, at the time, I was uh, working uh, with the Los Angeles County Federation of Labor. Uh, we were putting together a summer program for community college students. And one of my tasks at the time was to receive training for DACA, which is a Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. Uh, so when this program rolled out, there was a huge need for people to, to help enroll um, qualified uh, folks into this. So I began volunteering with the Long Beach Immigrant Rights Coalition back in 2012 because I found out that they existed here in the city, local, and I wanted to help out with this. So about two years after um, the summer program ended at the LA Fed, I was looking for a job and I came and asked the Long Beach Immigrant Rights Coalition if they were hiring and luckily enough they were and so three years later here I am um, doing uh, community organizing here in the city. All right so what exactly do they do for immigrants rights and everything? What what are the kind of things that you get involved with there personally? So the Long Beach Immigrant Rights Coalition is a grassroots organization uh, that primarily focuses on providing resources and services for immigrant communities here in Long Beach as well as the rest of the South Bay Area. Uh, but in particular, we focus on providing assistance for undocumented immigrants. And so anything from driver's license information to know your rights, which is very pertinent right now, um, given this new administration and the policies that they're rolling out, um, healthcare access and ways they can connect with um, insurance providers or if they need any emergency medical services, finding ways they can pay for that. Um, So anything that can improve the quality of life for immigrants, um, whether it be, you know, any of the mentioned um, services or the advocacy component, which is to also help community members fight for more resources, right? The ones we have right now are great because, I mean, those are resources that community members fought for for years, but we also recognize that there's more that needs to be fought for, again, especially with the new administration and all the cutbacks that are happening. uh, Now is a really good time to get involved, um, especially if one is directly impacted. Um, We encourage people to to begin uh, getting more involved and 
joining this fight. Okay, so you said that you guys help um, people with like um, legal issues. So, what are some of the main legal issues right now that are coming that are you that you're facing with right now? Yeah, one big issue right now um, that we're looking at is um, the rescinding of DACA. So, uh, on September 5th, um, Attorney General Jeff Sessions um, came out and made the announcement for the president. Um, announced that DACA was ending and basically gave folks a month to enroll for those who did qualify. We found out not everybody did. And beginning March 5th, 2018, people are going to begin losing their DACA. So anybody who has an expiration date after March 5th will begin to uh, phase out of the DACA program. There's a few folks um, who did qualify to renew, and so those are the very few lucky ones. Um, that's one thing we're looking at is alternatives that folks can look into um, after DACA. Um, another thing we're looking at is uh, know your rights. So um, part of the uh, new administration's um, plans was to bring in more Border Patrol, more uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, um, into the picture and then just increase deportations. So now has been a really difficult time for us to get uh, know your rights information out there because uh, our staff is a staff of four and I'm the one that conducts most of the know your rights presentations for our organization and as much as I would as much as I um, would want to be at different places at once I can't and so uh, that becomes a very difficult thing to do when we're trying to um, get this information out to the rest of our communities. So, Jonathan, we actually heard about the story of your dad who actually got deported back to Mexico. Can you please tell us a little bit more about that story? Sure thing. Yeah. So, um, when I was 13, um, my father was working um, warehouse jobs and was getting laid off frequently. There was a point where he decided to go a little bit up north to go pick oranges because that was a more secure job, quote-unquote. Um, and one day, I mean, he just got picked up and was, uh, detained in a detention center and then was, was deported right after. So he's been out of the picture or out of my life for the last 10 years. And it's been a difficult situation, but it's unfortunately not a unique story. Uh, it's, it's a story that's happening more and more often. Uh, and as I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later, um, is a story that, that keeps repeating itself um, because of the broken systems that exist, right? Um, the lack of opportunities that exist for, for immigrants, for people of color, um, will lead people to do things that they don't necessarily want to do or things that society may deem immoral, but it is a result of the system that is in place. So for that reason, I actually wanted to ask you, is there any specific new rallies or laws that you're trying to help pass? Uh, one big rally or one big uh, law that is looking to be passed right now is the DREAM Act. So there's a nationwide effort right now. Actually, as we speak, there's people heading out to Washington, D.C. Um, to uh, protest to get a clean DREAM Act. And so what a clean DREAM Act basically means is that we want to see all of the benefits that would come with the DREAM Act without any of the enforcement um, portions of it. So we understand that in politics there needs to be compromises where the Republican side or the more conservative side would want to see more enforcement, more officers, more boots on the ground. 
Um, our side wants to see more folks uh, benefit from some sort of protective status, possibly um, a pathway to citizenship, and overall just protections from, from deportations. And so we essentially just want to see more people uh, benefit from this, less enforcement. I see. So we wanted to know a little bit more um, of what is like the worst cases that you have seen since you've been working for this organization. Yeah, one big case that, that I was um, working on for quite some time actually happened last year and actually had to do with this very campus. So this is the case of Jose Alvarez. Jose Alvarez it was the father, is the father of a um, of six children, one of which is a uh, Marine uh, veteran. And on the night, uh, some night in February, he was detained or he was stopped by Cal State Long Beach police uh, over here by the traffic circle, which is about a mile away from here. Um, he was stopped for a broken tail light. As the night progressed, his car overheated. So by the time that interaction was done, Jose Alvarez actually could not leave the scene because his car was overheated. Around that time, though, ICE actually ended up contacting the officer who was on patrol around the area um, and asked the officer, the Cal State Long Beach officer, to detain Jose Alvarez. So Jose Alvarez was arrested, was brought to this very campus, detained here, and waited for ICE to pick him up. And in a matter of 12 hours, he was sent, he was in he found himself in Tijuana. Um, this person is originally from Michoacan. So when he had tried to go back to Michoacan, he realized that it was a very dangerous place to be because of all the... Uh, violence that's going on in Mexico at the moment. So he actually had to resort to staying in Tijuana because he feared for his life. Um, there was a rally on October 7th uh, that involved having um, folks advocate on the Mexican side of the border and on the U.S. side. That same day, Jose Alvarez and his family suffered a car accident in Tijuana where there was a lot of injuries that occurred and unfortunately now the the wife of Jose Alvarez um, had her legs broken so she's slowly recovering from, from that terrible injury. Uh, Jose Alvarez's youngest children uh, who are both high school students uh, suffered broken bones and just the trauma that comes with having your family separated, I mean there, there's no comparison to that and Unfortunately, that is just not something that happens in immigrant communities. We see that as well with um, people of color here in this country with the prison industrial complex. I mean, family separations is, is something that causes a lot of traumas in our communities and is something that needs to stop. Okay, so I just want to go real quick back to um, when you stated about DACA. Um, so if there's nothing that, like, for example, you said there were some that were fortunate enough to be able to qualify for DACA renewals. So what happens to those that aren't able to qualify for DACA renewals? So the people that don't qualify for DACA renewals, and the period for renewal was from September 5th through October 5th. So they only gave folks one month to renew. The only people that qualified for renewals at the time was for people whose work permits expired after um, March 5th <clears throat> and so that's not that's not a whole lot of people um, so folks had actually I need to correct myself 
um, the people who qualified for renewals was for people whose work permits uh, expired between that six-month period. And um, those people were um, allowed to, to renew then. So that doesn't include a whole lot of people because it was just people within a six-month period. Um, if somebody's work permit expired after March 5th, then they unfortunately did not qualify for the renewal and just were allowed to um, benefit from the work permit for the rest of those remaining days. Um, so, yeah, six months uh, doesn't give a whole lot of people um, an opportunity to renew, but it did give a few folks. So what happens to those that aren't getting it renewed? What, where do they go? Um, so right now there's um, workshops being offered for folks who are looking at the possibility of having their DACA permit expire after March 5th. Um, a lot of these are focused around um, the ability to start your own business, uh, what you can do to continue your education if you know you can't work um, with a with proper documentation. Uh, so right now, I mean, because it just this um, this announcement just hit us not too long ago. I think advocates are still trying to figure this out. Um, we also encourage people to to speak to attorneys, uh, get in legal intakes done to see what other services or if there is a possible pathway um, for someone to become naturalized and eventually become a citizen. So we also understand that accessing uh, legal assistance is not cheap. We realize that is a, that is a very real barrier for our communities. And so our organization also puts together bi-monthly um, workshops. We invite attorneys to come out and provide uh, legal assistance uh, for free, so they won't charge anything, and uh, yeah, and it's it's totally free. People can come out and ask any questions that they may have. All right, and with that, we are going to go to our first commercial break here. Um, this is the D forty nine er update on twenty two westmedia dot com, and <laughs> we are back with the D forty nine er update. Um, returning to our discussion on immigrant rights and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, I'll hand the the mics back over. All right, so we're here with Jonathan, Jonathan Solozano. Right, John Solzana. Sorry, my Spanish is not that good. But I had a question. You mentioned how um, DACA students should know their rights. So is there any rights right now you can tell us for any students listening? What are some of the important things they should know? Well, the, when um, when referring to my Know Your Rights presentation, the two biggest takeaways that I usually ask community members, um, and this doesn't, this doesn't just apply to DACA recipients. It's just a general um, immigration um, uh, Know Your Rights is um, number one, uh, use your right to remain silent. So if an officer, uh, whether it be a local officer or an ICE agent, um, tries to interrogate you, remain silent. The only thing they sh that should be coming out of um, immigrants' mouths would be uh, that they would want to speak to an attorney, and that is it. Uh, the second thing is that when, if and when ICE comes to anyone's door, uh, do not under any circumstances open that door. That is very important because um, just as soon as there's a little crease open on the on the door, uh, that is enough for ICE to come in and uh, begin gathering folks within that household. Um, along with that, 
the um, another thing that just came to mind is that if anyone does find themselves under arrest with ICE, it is very important that they that they do not sign any documentation for any reason, um, unless there is an attorney present to translate all of that, and make sure that is within your benefit to to do so. Um, ICE and officers in general can lie to you legally and get away with it. However, a citizen or anybody, um, a civilian, cannot do the same without getting in trouble. And if it's a federal officer, you can probably get yourself in more trouble. So just generally it's important to not, um, to not sign any documentation. Okay. And do you think um, CSUOB has done enough for their DACA students in Long Beach City in general? What do you think they can do better? Um, well, Cal State Long Beach, uh, from what I've heard, has passed General Order 55, which makes the process of having ICE come into the campus a little bit more difficult than usual. Uh, they would need a warrant. They would need to communicate with the school president um, to let them know that they are coming onto the campus. Um, so that might prolong the process a little bit. Um, there is also a Dream Success Center here on campus um, near the, uh, I believe here it's here in the Student Union, actually. Um, sorry, I'm not too familiar with the campus here, but just from um, interacting with students, the information I have, um, there is a Dream Success Center where um, anybody who who may need that assistance, whether the DACA recipients or not, um, may go in and ask questions related to um, their status and access to higher education, right, whether it's assistance for AB 540, assistance to enroll in the California DREAM Act, um, which, by the way, has not been touched and is very different from DACA. I believe uh, there is a lot of people out there who get those two mixed up. So just as a point of clarification, DACA, which is known as the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program, is a federal program which grants um, those who qualify a work for a um, work permit, a social security number, a driver's license, and then here in the state of California, uh, full scope Medi-Cal. Um, so that's DACA. The California Dream Act uh, essentially guarantees um, undocumented students uh, financial aid uh, here in the state of California, and it's uh, through the state. Um, so those would be the that's the difference between the two. Okay. And what about Long Beach? Do you think Long Beach has done enough? Because you're part of the Immigrants' Rights Coalition. So yeah. the city in general, how do you... So the city of Long Beach, on September 19th, introduced a motion to begin conversations with the city and advocates to create a policy uh, that would basically protect um, immigrants from um, the police and ICE collaborations here in the city. Uh, it's known as the Long Beach Values Act. And what we're aiming to do as advocates is to limit that collaboration between ICE and local law enforcement, which in this case would be the Long Beach Police Department. Um, we're looking to, to ensure that it is not easy for ICE to, to deport people or to even detain people here in the city. And we want to do it through three ways, right? The first one would be to limit um, the collaborations. Um, we also want to limit the sharing of information. And so this means that um, the city will not pass along any information or any sensitive information over to ICE. And the third one would be, um, yeah, just 
not working together unless it's something very serious, such as a um, the Human Trafficking Task Force or any other task force that require um, ICE and local law enforcement to work together. Okay, so you'd say Long Beach is in the process of helping them a little more? Yes, yes. Um, yeah, they, the um, Long Beach is unfortunately not a sanctuary city yet, um, although it may have that feel already just because of the um, progressive vibe that we have around here, but um, we still encourage our elected officials to, to move forward and make sure that this passes when it becomes time to vote for it. Okay, and um, well, for your own personal experience, how have you? How do you think um, immigrants have been progressing here? Um, from personal experience, uh, my parents were undocumented for much of my life. Uh, my mother, actually, I'm proud to say, passed her citizenship test just yesterday. So, oh, congratulations! Very, very proud of her. Um, and so. Yeah, I would say that back then, I I have, first of all, I do have the privilege of being born here in this country, um, so I, I can understand and acknowledge that I will not share those same fears that my parents and a lot of my peers do currently, um, but I did experience that fear with them in the sense that I got to see firsthand how careful they were with everything they did, and so it was just basically living living in the shadows. And that's a term we hear a lot with the undocumented um, communities um, every, anywhere. So people went from living under the shadows or living in the shadows, um, being very careful where they went to work, um, where they frequented. And now, I mean, it's it's a whole new thing. In the last five years, um, people have come out and openly said that they are undocumented. We've seen this more among the youth Um but we also encouraged other other folks, um, adults, um, mothers, workers, parents, et cetera, et cetera, to come out and also stay the same and not be afraid, right? Um, unfortunately, we're seeing this trend of folks going back into the shadows because of this new administration and all the fear it has caused in our communities. So it's been... It's been a very difficult uh, political climate to navigate through at the moment. But a roller coaster in a way. Yes, yes, yeah. And so currently, I mean, we are conducting the Know Your Rights presentations. We're also conducting uh, trainings for the Raid Rapid Response Network, or as we're calling it here in Long Beach, Migra Watch. So Migra is another term for ICE. Um, and so essentially what we're doing is we're trying to create a network of community uh, that can report ICE presence in any part of Long Beach and immediately report it to a dispatcher uh, in which the dispatcher would then send out a mass text to folks around the area to go and not only investigate but also be there for support, whether it's recording, taking pictures, being there for the family. Um, so it's becoming a more direct process and a more direct way of protecting our communities from uh, not only deportations, but the processes that come after. Okay, and so when does that Migra Watch start? When are you guys going to start um, that? So we actually started it um, back in October, I would say. We're doing small trainings here and there. Uh, we are planning on having a press conference for that, particularly in January. I, I want to say January 16th. Um, I cannot confirm the date for sure at the moment, but... Uh, I would say on January 16th, we are planning on having a 
uh, press conference over at City Hall to to officially highlight that this is happening in our city and that we want folks to participate in this and be able to benefit from from this resource. All right, so any CS- CSULB students interested, January 16th is the date, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, well, that concludes um, our first half of the D49er update. We are going to a little bit of an early commercial break here, but um, we'll be back in couple minutes and we have hunter lee going over uh gubernatorial gubernatorial campaigns for california we'll see you guys in a minute those commercials are actually way earlier than i would have hoped for and we are now back to our regular scheduled programming those were students from our j420 class as well that's advanced news writing and reporting so if you're still looking for a journalism class next semester maybe try that one i think barb's teaching it and she's a Pretty cool lady. Shout out to Barb. But anyway, um, up next in the studio, we have with us this guy. Hey, I'm Hunter Lee, the assistant photo editor for the 49er. Mm. Happy to be here. Yeah, well, I mean, I did ask you to come. You don't have to lie about being happy to be here. It's all right, though. So, uh, yeah, um, I'm looking at the wrong show notes. Um, So right now we are talking about... We are talking about um, that gubernatorial race for Newsom. Yeah, so Gavin Newsom is one of the front-running candidates for governor of California next year. And uh, last week in Long Beach at this little music store called Fingerprints Music, there was a press event that took place where uh, Long Beach Mayor Robert Garcia endorsed Gavin Newsom in his campaign. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so what's kind of um, uh, Robert's uh, history, I guess you could say, with Newsom and how he's inspired him and so on? Well, uh, Robert actually brought up two points during the event that inspired his support for Newsom. It was uh, back in 2004. 2004, Garcia had just graduated from college and was having a difficult time telling his family that he was gay and... At the same time, in San Francisco, Newsom, who was the mayor at the time there, had just passed a decree legalizing same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the first big inspirations that Newsom had on Garcia's life. Was it a decree? I, I, I think you might have the term wrong there. I might have the term wrong. Is your phone not working with your notes? It was the law. It was he passed the law. Uh, he, it was he passed the law. All yeah. right. <laughs> so, yeah, um... Okay, so let's go on to, I guess, the kind of flip side of that, which is um, Garcia's um, support for uh, Newsom's run as well. You know, like, for, like, the last time Gavin Newsom... Okay, yeah, yeah. so then Garcia also brought up a second inspiring moment between him and Newsom, and that was during Garcia's own campaign back in, I believe, 2014... For uh, mayor of Long Beach, mm-hmm. and Garcia was actually not a top candidate. In fact, his Democratic opponent had received endorsements from uh, Jerry Brown, mm-hmm. who was governor of California at the time. So betting on Garcia was not uh, not a good gamble, mm-hmm. but Newsom took it anyway because he saw the dedication in Garcia. Yeah, okay, cool. So, 
Yeah, I mean, this is um, reporting on a route, like an actual, like, um, coming out and endorsement and everything like that. What was kind of the air of the room, I guess you could say, while you were there reporting on it? Uh, it was busy. There was um, a good amount of reporters taking up the room, mm-hmm. but there were actually a lot of Long Beach locals who came out to, you know, get a sense of the possible next governor of California. Yeah. And they were passionate, you know, eager to hear his stances on a lot of issues that would affect Long Beach. Yeah, cool. And what are those issues? Well, two of them that have actually already had laws passed through is the legalization of marijuana in California, Mm -hmm. as well as um, gun control. Mm -hmm. Gavin is a big supporter of gun control. Uh Uh-huh. And then also came the issue of the GOP tax bill as well and what's kind of the, I I guess you could say, uh, campaign take that Newsom is approaching that with. Well, Newsom has a lot of plans for when he gets into office, including um, increasing the housing production in California to 3.5 million by 2025, Mm. which would almost quadruple our production rate right now. Mm -hmm. But under the new tax bill, that could put a real hindrance on his plans. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Do you have anything else to add about Newsom or or Gavin Newsom or um, Robert Garcia? Well, it was was interesting to hear Newsom speak. Um, He actually ran for governor of California back in 2010, Against Jerry Brown, and they were the two candidates looking most likely for office, but uh, after hitting some low poll numbers, Newsom decided to drop out of the race, mm-hmm. and that's when he decided to run for lieutenant governor of California. Mm-hmm. And how did that go? Uh, he's been serving there since, um, but it's been criticized as kind of a pointless job, mm-hmm. powerless. Yeah. So, I mean, this is his like, kind of run for it again, I guess you could say. I guess the timing's finally right for him because yeah. it's looking like the odds are in his favor. He mm-hmm. just got the endorsement a few days prior to Long Beach's mayor from uh, Sacramento's mayor. Mm-hmm. All right. Cool. Well, on that note, we'll go back to our actually scheduled commercial break here in just one second. And, yeah, um, hope you guys out there have been having a good night and you know just enjoy it while you're here here and once again um returning to our talk with hunter lee from his experience um covering the gavin newsom mayoral campaign event um with robert garcia so yeah man let's talk gun control gun control newsom yeah newsom very big supporter of gun control has been all his life and due to tragic events um, Newsom's grandfather, way back when, um, mm-hmm. World War II veteran, uh, was at a restaurant with his two daughters, Newsom's mom and his aunt, and pulled a gun out and committed suicide mm-hmm. in front of his daughters, not before telling them that he was going to blow their brains out as well. Yeah. And that forever was ingrained in Newsom's mind, uh, the only image of guns he's ever really had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I guess was uh, 
Uh, is there anything else to really add to the campaign as far as like color goes and everything like that, or are we good to segue into other news? Well, I'd also like to touch on uh, his marijuana policy, if you would let me. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, if that's the one you're interested in, there, Hunter. I mean, sure. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. I, I'm thrown for a bit of a loop here with timing stuff, but we'll press on. We have fun. Um. So yeah, uh, Newsom never smoked pot in his life, but is a huge supporter of the legalization in California. Mm-hmm. Has been since what was it, Prop 47? Uh huh. Which uh, that was back in 2014. That decriminalized nonviolent offenses like drugs and property crimes, mm-hmm. turned them into misdemeanors. Yeah. And he was also a big supporter in 2015 with the. Uh, Prop 64, which legalized cannabis growth. Mm-hmm. Cool, man. And then kind of what's the rationale behind that, I guess you could say, being uh, pro-marijuana? I mean, for us as college students, it's, I mean, no need to say obvious, but, you know, <laughs> what is it with Newsom as to why he wants to? Well, a big platform for why he wants to legalize. Well, well why legalized. he's in support Yeah, why he's in support is... Um, his other issues that he wants to tackle is uh, crime control. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of offenses that, for drugs to lessen those, you know, decrease the people who are being sent to prison for it. So basically it's a – I guess the actual wording that was used in your article from the quote um, was it was a social justice issue and racial justice issue when you look at actual – and these are words from my mouth that I'm assuming are also sympathies of Newsom as well. Uh, issues around disproportionate uh, like rates of arrest towards minorities, um, the overall unnecessariness of marijuana being a Schedule One drug, and you know uh, it being kind of a just an excuse for arrest. When it really comes down to it. But yeah. So anyway, I guess we're going. It, wait, whoa, what? Hunter has more? Hunter just gave me the finger sign that he has more? Go ahead, Hunter. I came nervous and prepared. Nervous and prepared. Oh, trust me. They know you're nervous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, one one more big issue that I, I'll touch on uh, with more recent news in Hollywood and politics and everywhere is uh, sexual misconduct allegations that have been arising in the media. Mm-hmm. Uh, Newsom's a big... Uh, uh, he has a platform against toxic ma- masculinity in the workplace. Uh, I'm mm. pretty sure his wife worked on worked on a documentary involving it. Uh huh. And, and what is that policy? What is like that policy in action? Just to combat more more allegations that are arising and uh, get those. So you would say believe women? I guess you could say like. Oh, you know, yeah, women, men, anyone who's coming forward. Yeah, yeah, no, I like don't brush hold, us, uh, hold these people in power to account. Take out of this place as like this, uh, I guess you could say like, uh, like secret thing, you know, that's not talked about, that's ignored, that's brushed under the rug. I tried to reach down there to wipe at the rug to make a rug miking sound, but that did not happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. Yeah. Anything else from you there, Hunter, on Gavin Newsom's mayoral campaign? Um, It'll be interesting to see what 2018 brings for us. 
All right, cool, cool, cool. Oh, uh, maybe one fun fact. I don't know if Gavin is still doing this, but in his first campaign run for mayor, he wanted to be referred to as the Gavinator. So I'm hoping to see that resurface Gavin for this. Gavin Newsom, you just lost my support for a mayoral race. But <laughs> I'm, just, I'm kidding. <laughs> um. California, California. I'm not sure if that's offensive or not. Maybe it is. Anyway, we'll have to ask the think about commercial. All right. On to other news. I have a couple stories to um, cover further developments in uh, Hunter. If you want to jump in on any of these, you know, feel free. Yes, you you can jump in. You don't need to whisper about it. It's all good. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, to start off with, we have the La Raza death threats. Not even suspect anymore. Just the guy that's under arrest, right? Christopher Cook. So we gave you a brief update on this last week with um, our editor-in-chief, Miranda Andrea Seha. And, yeah, so more developing details, of course. So uh, Cook's bail, for instance, is set at $275,000, which is quite high, um, understandably. Um, And then outside of that, he also has um, previous... uh, Probation for vandalization charges back. Vandalization charges. That's a funny word. Charges back in 2009. Um, he pled not guilty to his felony hate crime for this go around in court. And uh, yeah, so there's also a misdemeanor charge um, tacked onto the already current um, felony hate crime charges, and that was. Um, possessing an altered firearm, which it's not completely clear what it means by an altered firearm, but, you know, I guess we shall see in the coming developments on the story. And, you know, just more general bad news from campus. Well, actually, good news. You know what? I'm ready to say that we're at the tail end of this whole lead water thing. Tail end of it as in, you know, they're done looking into it and need to take care of the problem but anyway so uh majority of um testing will was not will was completed on december 1st um and with that a forum will be held on december 8th in the hall of science um december 8th i believe not even believe it is this friday so that is in the hall of science building if you just have those burning itching questions about whether or not the water you're drinking has lead in it probably not unless you are in the, uh, let's see here, Michelin building, which, you know, had four, um, lead positive fountains, or, excuse me, six lead positive fountains, so, on top, like, just tack that on with all the other problems with the Michelin building, including, you know, the elevator and whatnot, um, but also all Fountains installed before 1990 will also be replaced. And, you know, um, if you're wondering about the spring semester, will be spruced up and will be changed. It will be water fountains. To be precise, 55 out of the 309 drinking locations on campus will be replaced by the spring semester in 2018. So, Hunter, we have some extra time here. And I also heard that you had some hot takes on net neutrality. Ooh, yeah, net neutrality. That really that really uh, irks me, gets my blood boiling. Um, yeah, it's a serious issue. It's going to be affecting everyone if it passes, which 
they've showed very few details on what the uh, mm-hmm. order would actually uh, entail. So, to be put it briefly and frankly, why should people? Well, I can't put that frankly. This is radio. Um, <laughs> why should people care about net neutrality? Why? Why? Why not? You know, make you know the internet like your cable service provider, aside from the obvious. Well, for uh, net neutrality amateurs out there, uh, what net neutrality does is it protects internet providers from abusing their uh, customers, and it is supposed to be enforced by the FCC. But if it is done away with, potential. Uh, Effects from it could be your internet providers blocking certain websites, slowing them down, giving uh, some sites an advantage over others, splitting the internet into fast lane for companies that pay and slow lanes for the rest, you know, poor students like us, or even force people to buy special tiers to access sites and services. And uh, I might not be understanding this right, but that could mean making students pay for a student internet package to get to their websites, do homework, mm-hmm. and it could it could have serious impacts for everyone. Mm-hmm. Now, for this, what would you say to the very few skeptics out there? I guess you could say, would you say this is a partisan issue? Is this a bipartisan issue? What is the characteristics of this issue, Hunter? Ooh, that's a tough one for me. I. I honestly don't know how I would talk to a skeptic about it. Uh-huh. It's pretty clear that you'd be paying a lot more money than you are now without net neutrality. Well, let, let me play devil's advocate here, I guess you could say, and you know, try and fill in that skeptic's role, even though none of these are opinions that I necessarily have. Shouldn't internet service providers be more free to pursue that their own uh, capitalist interest, I guess you could say, to be able to provide a better and faster internet to their customers. I guess that's one way to look at it, but the internet just comes with so much power, and especially in today's society, so many people just rely on it for education and having these price increases and packages and tiers to pay for. You have... uh, Monopoly or people that uh, can't afford these packages, excuse me, mm-hmm. and it could have a serious effect in everyone receiving equal education. Mm-hmm. And then it also comes down to a um, certain actual like business issue where you know in an actual true free market you have more competitors, but when you look at internet service providers in the U.S., you know, in most areas you only have one, maybe two internet service providers. So say your Comcast, your AT&T. So, you know, in like, let's say that we're, let's just say that we're okay with the internet not being completely free and open. You put, set it up for a position where you only have one option out there on the market and that option can, like, let's say that option is Comcast and then they can, throttle or charge you just whatever the hell you they want for whatever access to whatever sites. So, yeah, Hunter, what do you think about that? I think it's terrible. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just think it's one of those issues that should be getting everyone's attention right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and it definitely should be. 
And then that vote is coming up not too far from here for, you know. December 14th. December 14th. Thanks, Hunter to the Save, man. You got me. What? Are we closing up? What yeah, we're, we're closing up shop here, guys. This was the D49er update. What you want, Hunter? What? Uh, I'd just like to plug one thing if I can. What? Uh, a serious issue I have. Net neutrality, in fact. Uh, it's really easy. Text 50409 or text resist to 50409 to get in touch with your local representatives and tell them why net neutrality matters. Oh, I thought you were going to. Never mind. In- inside jokes. They won't get it. But anyway, that was the D49er update. This is the Daily 49ers news update. And among other things, um, arts, life, opinions, news, um, interviews with important guests and everything like that. You guys have a good night tonight, and we'll see you next week on Wednesday from 7 to 8.